You are listening to a White Ridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. It's a great place to turn to the Psalms. No matter what your experience, no matter how high your high has been lately or low your low has been, no matter how deep the pain or great the frustration or intense the joy, whatever the realm of human experience that you're facing or experiencing, uh, something in the Psalms is going to resonate with you. A guy by the name of Samuel Schultz has written that the Psalms express the common experience of the human race, the emotions, the personal feelings, attitudes and gratitudes, the interests of the average individual. Universally, people have always identified their lot in life with that of those in the Psalms. So we find then that God uses the Psalms to bring us a lot of comfort, a lot of hope in the midst of whatever we're facing so just to, by way of introduction, uh, briefly, the Psalms were written probably around between 1000 B.C. and 400 B.C., starting with King David, who wrote 73 of them, and, uh, and then there's about 49 of them, I think, that are, are kind of anonymous. We don't know who the author is. Uh, there are actually a collection of five books. You'll notice in the Psalms, if you're reading, that, uh, for example, in the first Psalm, Psalm 1, there is uh, book 1, it says, Psalm 1. To 41, and they're uh, written by David, and they were actually put into a collection of worship songs for Israel when David was yet alive. Then the second book, which is starting in Psalm 42 to 72, was likely added in the time of his son Solomon, when David had already died, but he had left many of his poems and songs, and so they put them in as a second book to the book of Israel, like a hymn book of Israel. And then the third and fourth, Psalm 73 to 89 and 90 to 106, probably during the exile, these were added uh, to the book of Psalms. And then finally, during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, when the exiles were returning to Jerusalem, book five was added to this collection in the Psaltery, and it uh, is Psalm 107 to 150. So, so what we get in the Psalms is, is not this book, this 150-chapter book, that is organized thematically or topically, but rather it is literally organized chronologically. So Psalm 1 was written well before Psalm 150. And so we, we get a sense of, of uh, difference in theme as we go in, in that way as well. Also, when we read the Psalms, we, we know that we're entering the realm of Hebrew poetry. And, and so Hebrew poetry has its own rules, its own ways, its own rhythm and rhyme, its own uh, emphasis. Uh, its own metaphors and similes and all the different word structures. And so we don't likely want to build a doctrine just on one verse in the Psalms because it could be that you're taking a portion where David or somebody else is just ranting to the Lord. It's like this private prayer journal and he's just going on and on and you don't want to build a doctrine on that. And, uh, and so some have, have, have made an attempt at categorizing the Psalms, all 150, into different categories. The most common one I'll share with you right now is there's seven different uh, categories of psalms. The first kind, meaning praise psalms. And of course, that's what we usually think of when we think of the psalms, praise psalms, where we're the, the psalmist is, is focused on the attribute of God, just God himself, a praise psalm. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. That's a praise psalm. Then there are historical psalms where we read that God, the, the psalmist talks about God's dealings with his people, Israel. For example, in chapter 78, when talking about Israel, the psalmist writes, 
that uh, in spite of all that God did, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. And so God ended their days in futility and their years in terror, talking about the time of going into the exile. Again, it's describing God's history with his people. The third one, kind of a foreign idea for us to write in Scripture, but they're called imprecatory psalms, which means that that the psalmist is writing about God kind of striking a curse upon their enemies, okay? And, uh, of course, that's not the way we're taught to pray in the New Testament when it says, no, leave it for God, vengeance is His, you know, uh, bless those who curse you, bless and do not curse, and so on. But these psalms are just, again, this overflow of the of the psalmist's heart, just kind of expressing his frustration before God. And we get a, a chance to peek into the prayer journal, and sometimes that's what the psalmist is expressing. For example, in chapter 35, verse 4, May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. That's David talking, uh, who had many enemies at some points in his life. And so imprecatory psalms. Then there are penitential psalms, and of course that means penitence, that idea of coming before the Lord in confession, or coming before the Lord in weakness, acknowledgement of weakness and sin. And so Psalm 6, for example, says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, or discipline me in your wrath. Be merciful to me, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, will I wait? These are penitential penitential psalms. And so again, it's someone coming before the Lord seeking mercy. Messianic psalms, the fifth category, where we see something in the psalms that reflects the Messiah to come, Jesus. Some of them are quoted in the New Testament. For example, in Gethsemane, when Jesus is praying, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, David said those words first in Psalm 22, verse 1. Messianic psalms, liturgical psalms, are ones that were written for Israel during festivals or certain times when they would go up to Israel and they would celebrate the Lord together. And so, for example, Psalm 21, 22, verse 1, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go up to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. So these are psalms that were made for corporate Israel during special occasions of the year. And then seventh, the seventh category, which is the one that I've chosen for this morning, is a, is a relational psalm. And that's the kind of psalm where uh, the David or, or one of the that writing the psalms is expressing the kind of personal relationship that exists between him and God. Just this real intimacy that is being expressed and need being expressed before God. And so Psalm 16 is an example of that. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Psalm 16, verse 1 says, Keep me safe, O God. For in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So why don't you take your Bibles, if you have one, or turn in your tablet or whatever you have that you carry, and uh, look at Psalm 16 with me. And uh, let's take a look at what this scripture has to teach us this morning. Psalm and chapter 16. And if you'd like to stand with me, let's stand now to listen to God's word. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. 
The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. And because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence and with eternal pleasures at your right hand. May God bless his word. You may be seated. John Riesinger tells a story about a man who was walking along a, a dirt road and he, he comes to a, a river uh, that has no bridge across it. It's a frozen river and there's no bridge and so he doesn't know how he's going to cross. So he, he gets out on the ice just a little bit and kind of feels his way through, see if it's strong enough to hold him, the ice. And, and he, he feels it goes a little farther and then he... He jumps up and down, and he's still being able to stand there. And he goes a little farther out on, and he gets down on his hands and knees, and he's pounding on the ice, and it seems to be holding him up. And then, and then pretty soon he hears this incredible yelling coming from the other side of the river, and this trump trampling, and it's a team of horses with, pulling a wagon with a man just you know, getting these horses to gallop through. And he, he comes along and he comes up to the river and gallops right across the river, right by the man that's on his hands and knees in the middle of the ice. And so this team of horses with a wagon passes right by and disappears behind him. Well, by this time he realizes this, the ice is strong enough to hold him up and so he gets up and he carries on his journey. Well, what's the point? The point is, which of the two men, the one on the horse wagon or the one that was on his hands and knees in the middle of the river, which one of them felt, or which one of them was more secure, is the question. Which, which one of them was more secure on that ice? And the answer, of course, is, well, they were equal. They were both secure on that ice. Because the security of, of their lives on that moment did not depend on their experience of the ice or their perceptions of their security uh, and this, in this ice, but rather it depended on the thickness of the ice. And I would like to suggest that ice, the ice in this story is, is Jesus. And uh, we, we have various people, of course, even today, this morning, gathered here this morning, we, we have various ones, and some of us approach life and we're on our hands and knees and we're afraid. And we face circumstance and we don't, we don't trust, and we're, we're not sure, and we're tentative, and we approach life with that kind of uh, difficulty and anxiety and worry, and that's the way we proceed. And others of us perhaps are, are, are just, just gangbusters going through, and we're, we're, just, we're just confident in what God has given us, in the fact that God has our lives. Now, I would say that probably we're, we're all somewhere between on that continuum you see, the thing is that the Christian who lives out his life in fear or uncertainty, yet being truly born of God and knowing Jesus, 
is just as secure as the person who is absolutely intimate with God and knows all the promises of God and has a complete hope in all that he has for his, in his future. They're both equally secure. And, and it's unfortunate that we face life and new things in the uncertainties of our own resources instead of the certainties of God's resources, isn't it? As we get ready to turn over a new page and a new year with new things that come at us all, we recognize that the only thing that doesn't change is the Lord himself. That's the kind of experience that David is having as he writes this poem, this song. In Psalm 16, we read about a man, David, as a believer who knows well about his security, and he resembles more the man with the horses just crossing that river confidently rather than the one who's on his hands and knees trying to see if, if God's going to hold him up in the midst of all the change, all the difficulty, and so on. And so I would like to share with you four things about this psalm that David teaches us. And uh, let's begin with verses 1 and 2. I'd like to say that David took a lot of refuge in God's presence. God's presence is actually mentioned three times in this psalm. In verses 1 and 2, he talks about it. In verses 7 and 8, he talks about that he set the Lord always before him. He's at his right hand. Then in verse 11, again, he says, You will fill me with joy in your presence. David took a lot of refuge in God's presence. He found refuge in God's presence. Now, it sounds kind of, you know, theoretical to talk like that. But, but the point that David's making as he opens up the psalm is that he had many other options of where he could have found his refuge, but he decided he would find his refuge in God. And so he says, at the beginning, he says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take my All my eggs are in your basket, O God. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer that started like this prayer in Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God. I've had prayers like that a few times in my life, actually. I think as a, as a young boy, I was afraid of anything new. I had to go to a new school. I had to make new friends. Even when I was done high school, my very first time coming to Winnipeg, first time ever getting ready to go to Winnipeg Bible College, landing in at the airport on January the 1st or 2nd. Nobody came to pick me up, so I spent the night in the airport. Next day, I see a van that says Winnipeg Bible College. That's where I'm going, so I'm going to get on that thing. I was afraid. It was, I was saying, keep me safe, oh God. I remember when we were in Bolivia, we were uh, taking care of, of students that had come down. Uh, we were kind of supervisors. They were there for a six-month program, and near the end of their time, they wanted to do some kind of fun stuff in the jungle. And so we went to the jungle, and we, we had uh, uh, an ex-army sergeant from the Bolivian army that was now doing kind of extreme sports stuff. And, um, and so we went whitewater rafting on the Rio Espiritu Santo. That's the Holy Spirit River. Well, you can't go wrong on the Holy Spirit River, can you? I mean, nothing bad happens on the Holy Spirit River. So we get these 10 minutes of dry land training when we're yuck-yucking around, and, and all of a sudden we're in the middle of whitewater. You know, seven or eight of us and Ramiro, the, the army sergeant at the back, yelling at us for what we're supposed to do. Well, we hit a haystack, and we went up, and then we tipped right over. We capsized. 
And all of a sudden, I was praying, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge prayer. And thankfully, he had a colleague who was 100 meters downstream, and uh, he was gathering up all these bobbing yellow helmets as we went down the river. And slowly we made our way to the edge. Ramiro sat us down, gave us a sergeant major talking to, and told us that there's there's worse waters to come, and we better get our act together because nobody's picking us up in the middle of nowhere. we got to get to the destination. And we were all ears then. Keep me safe, O God. Have you ever had situations like that? They don't have to be life-threatening. But you might have been in a situation where you just feel so insecure. It's a new situation. It's a new relationship. It's a new job. It's a new context. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. You see, David decided that of all the options that he had to turn to, he decided that God would be the one he would turn to. That's where he would find refuge. In fact, refuge is a word that David loves to use. If you read the 73 Psalms that we have from David, you'll find that word repeated many times. So, so amidst all the other options, he decides, God, you're my refuge. You're the only good thing I have. He says in verse 2, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. There were many good things in his life, but, life, but he realized that, that everything was changing, and the only thing that was concrete and clear and, on, and constant was God. We just finished the Advent series, and we were talking a lot about the Gospel of Luke, and I mentioned to you that Luke was, loves this one word in Greek. And in, in the English translations, oftentimes it's, it's the word that's translated, and it came to pass. And it came to pass. Sixteen times, just in the birth narrative of Luke's account, it came to pass. And you know, the thing is, that's, that's a true statement. That one word in Greek holds enormous, enormous theological weight for you and I to to grasp. Because whether you are facing something bad right now, it's coming to pass. It's going to be gone soon. And if you're facing something wonderful and good and you want life never to change, guess what, friends? It's going to come to pass. Everything on this earth is going to come to pass. The good and the bad that you're facing. It's all going to come to pass. And there's only one good thing that you have if you know Jesus Christ. And that's what verse 2 is all about. He says, I said to the Lord, you're my Lord, and apart from you, I have no good thing. I can't teach you verse 2. Parents, you can't teach your children, verse 2. You cannot teach your children that apart from the Lord, they have no good thing. I can't teach you that. If it was as simple as just standing up here and preaching for half an hour and you'd get verse 2, I would do that until, until I die for the sake of souls that need to know this truth. But I can't teach you this. And and nobody taught David this. How did David arrive at verse 2? David arrived at verse 2 because of his own experience of God. 
Because over and over again, he tried finding refuge in other things. He had failed in trying to find any refuge in other things. And he finally came to this point where he says, Oh God, in you I find my refuge. That's why later on in Psalm 34, verse 8, David uses the same word, refuge, but this time he says, Taste and see for yourself, we could insert. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who finds refuge in him. You see, you can't teach that. You have to experience that. You have to know God. You have to try all of your other broken cisterns. You have to see the wasteland of all the other places that people are running to for refuge. And you have to find in your own experience that this is where I will find my strength. This is where I'll find my peace. This is where I will hide. It will be in God because He will not come to pass. If you didn't get it in 2013... Oh, that God would give it to you in 2014. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I remember visiting a coffee plantation once. And they had in the visitor center probably... 30 or 40 different kinds of coffee. And so we, we, just, we just went from little, you know, these little cups they give you. You went from one little urn to the next little urn, and you just tasted all the coffee. And then, then you went into the store and you bought the one you liked. Taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what David's saying in Psalm 34. But in Psalm 16, he's saying, I've already tasted. I've made my choice. I'm going to find refuge in God. So the question that I have for you to ponder as you get ready to cross into 2014 is what situation do I find myself in? Relationship, trial, problem, health concern? What situation do I find myself in that causes me to want to take refuge in the Lord and to see that apart from Him, I have no good thing? Has your experience driven you to the place where you've, you finally are starting to see that other sources of refuge cannot satisfy? They will come to pass and that only God only Christ is going to endure. So David took refuge in God's presence. Secondly, I want to show you that David found relationship with God's people. Look, look at verses 3 and 4. David takes the focus off of the Lord just momentarily to talk about the Lord's people. He says, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. But then in verse 4, he describes another kind of people. He says that there, there's going to be sorrow for everyone who runs after other gods. So David, in verses 3 and 4, is describing two kinds of people. There are the saints, the other believers in the land that he wants to connect with. They're, they give him delight. They give him fellowship and joy. And then there's the, those that run after other gods. 
And the question I have for you is, you've got those people in your life as well. You've got those who are believers in your life. If you haven't, I sure hope you look for them and find them. You've got others who are, who are not believers, who are not, they've not hooked their wagon to God. They're not operating by God's word or looking for God's principles to live by. And you've got a whole sea of people that are going to be speaking other, other messages into your life. The question for 2014 is, where are you going to find your comfort and where are you going to get your counsel from? You know, you, you'll have two sources in your life, two different kinds of people. There will be people that have a value system based on faith in Jesus Christ, and you can get comfort from them that is sure comfort, and you can get counsel from them that is true truth to guide your life. But there are other people in your life who are really following after other gods, looking for refuge in other places, not in God alone, and they will give you comfort, and they will give you counsel as well. You need to decide whether you're going to go to them, receive from them, listen to them, and so on. David said, I delight, I delight in these like-minded people, God's people, that point me to God's truth. But I will not have anything to do with these people that worship other gods. Not talking about not witnessing to them or sharing God's love with them, but they're not going to be the source of my comfort and my counsel. David is very clear about this. So the question on the eve of 2014 in this second point is, how can I grow in my delight of other believers? And here's the better question. How can I become one of these delightful believers for somebody else? Isn't that a good question? How can I become one of these delightful Christian people that is going to be such a source of comfort and counsel and strength for somebody else? How can I be that? That's one of the reasons why we emphasize life groups at our church. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you to be intentionally in investing in relationships with other believers, not just so you can just be feeling comfortable, and, but rather so that you can grow. You can, you can sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron, the Proverbs say. And uh, Doug is getting ready to, to begin a course this February 22nd till May the 10th. And uh, it's all about who I am in Christ. There are pamphlets out in the foyer and the whole purpose of this course really has to do with what we're talking about. This seminar, it says the Who I Am in Christ seminar is designed to help you come to a greater understanding of your identity in Christ by connecting six teaching sessions which only you attend along with six intentional conversations with a close friend that you choose. So, so basically, the people that are going to sign up for this are going to go on this intense journey Every two weeks, you're going to be in a session together learning from the Word of God who you are in Christ and, and how that transparency before God needs to translate into transparency with one other individual whereby you, you open up, you share, and you grow. Because you see, there's something mysterious that happens. Is that I, I don't really 
believe that God can accept and love and forgive me in Christ if I don't have someone with skin on that does it as well. And we live far too isolated lives as Christians, friends. And the cold weather doesn't make it any easier. So I'd encourage you to check that out. It's in the foyer right after uh, this pamphlet's there at the Information Center. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that you'll be the same in five years except for two things. The books you read and the people you know. I don't consider him any kind of a theologian, but I think he's right. That, that, that which you will permeate and renew your mind with in books and literature and reading and those that you invite into your closest of close friendships, th- those are the things that will change you to be the person you're going to be when we gather next year for another psalm between Christmas and New Year's. <clears throat> Let's go to the third point. David found refuge in God's presence and relationship with God's people, but he also found repose in God's providence. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Look at all the my portion, my cup, my lot, my boundary lines, my inheritance. David is talking about his realm of experience, but he is connecting all of that to the, to the providence of God, acknowledging that all of that has come from God's hand. And David did not have an easy life. David did not have an easy life. He's not writing this from the halls of some palace. He, he might even be running at this point in time from Saul. We don't know. But here he is, and he's just saying, God, thank you for your good providence in my life. I remember years ago reading the book by Jerry Bridges called Trusting God, and he said this. He said, if there is a single event in all of the universe that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot trust him. That's a big statement of faith, isn't it? I believe that. And on a bad day, I struggle with it. And on a good day, I believe it. Let me read it again. If there is a single event in all of the universe that can occur outside of God's sovereign control, then we cannot trust Him. Can you trust God? That's a huge statement. That's a huge statement. It's difficult. When you're facing difficulty or when someone you love is suffering or facing difficulty, it is a hard thing to come to terms with. And we don't understand it. On this side of heaven, we may not be given the why of it. And I'm not suggesting it's easy. But David and so many others in Scripture say to us that that is the way God works. He is sovereign. He's control of things. And so... The believer has this incredible security that, that is resting in the fact that, that whatever happens, God knows best. Friends, I, I, there are not many people on this earth that believe that fully. You might be the voice of one crying in the wilderness when you believe that. But that's what the scriptures teach. 
So the question that I have for you on the eve of 2014 is, where am I struggling to know God's providence in my life? What are the things that are difficult for me to accept? There's an incredible hymn that was written in the late 1700s by a man named William Cowper, who himself suffered a lot. But here's the last verse. He says this. God moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of of never-failing skill, he treasures up his bright design and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and they shall break in blessing on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Incredible hymn that reminds us of the providence of God that we can trust in. He knows what he's doing. Well, David took refuge in God's presence, found relationship with God's people, and reposed in God's providence. And finally, I want to suggest from verses 9 to 11 that he rejoiced in God's pleasures. That sounds like an odd thing to say, but I want to explain that. He rejoiced in God's pleasures. Verse 9, it says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, and my body also will rest secure. So David is summing up now. The therefore is there in verse 9 because verse 8 exists. Verse 8 he says, I have set the Lord always before me, and because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So the conclusion that he comes to at the end of verse 8 is that because the Lord is at my right hand, because I have set the Lord always before me, because I can trust him, I will not be shaken. And because I will not be shaken, therefore, he says, and this is what he says, my heart... He says, my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, and my body will rest secure. But these are conditional promises, friends. If your heart is going to be glad, if your tongue is going to rejoice, and if your body also is going to rest secure instead of suffering all the the physiological symptoms of anxiety and worry and stress then you're going to have to go back to where David's source was as well to find that you don't need to be shaken. It's kind of like in Psalm 91. I love, I love Psalm 91. Not David, but another psalmist is writing. And in Psalm 91, he says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Now, there's a conditional promise there. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest. If you don't dwell, you won't rest. You see it? It's like Jesus and the abiding vine thing in John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. The abiding brings or leads to the fruitfulness. The dwelling 
in the presence of the Lord leads to the resting in the shadow of his wings. There's, there's condition here. The problem is that we, we're, there's so many things that draw us away from dwelling in him, putting his presence ever before us, having him ever at our right hand, practicing the presence of God as Brother Lawrence used to speak of. So the question that we have is what situation do we find ourselves in that causes us to not dwell with him? As you enter a new year, do you have faith in God's future grace and hope that he will make known to you the path of life, joy in his presence, eternal pleasures at his right hand he speaks of? Is your faith showing up in a heart that is glad, a tongue that rejoices, and a body that's resting secure? As I was preparing for this uh, this morning, I, I looked back and I, I found uh, something that happened to me when I was le- yet living in Thunder Bay. It was the year 2000, 14 years ago, and it was February. And, you know, Thunder Bay has a, has a cancer clinic, and so many people from northwestern Ontario go to Thunder Bay for treatment. And one day on a Sunday morning, there was two sisters that showed up, and they came to me after the service, and they said, our brother is dying of lung cancer. He's here for treatments. Could you, could you visit him? Could you pray for him? So we had all kinds of people praying for this man from Kenora that had been in Thunder Bay receiving uh, chemo and radiation and so on. And after, so I visited him for a, a few weeks, and I remember writing, and, I, and this is what I found recently. Uh, I, I wrote in my notes that after visiting him a few times, I want to find the right spot here, I wrote in my notes, I said, I feel as though I have taken this man to the throne of grace and left him there. They're saying the words that I use. I said, I said, I feel as though I have taken this man to the throne of grace and left him there. I'd shared about Christ with him. And I couldn't go any further on his behalf. So we had all kinds of people praying for him. Two weeks later, he goes back to Kenora. He's in the Kenora Hospital. I contact a pastor in Kenora, and this pastor begins to visit him. And the pastor, after I, had, I talked to him every, about once a week or so, he said, every time I go up to the hospital, his sisters are reading Scripture to him. One day, the pastor visits him, and he says, that this man professed faith in Jesus Christ. And he said to me the next day, I want to be baptized, this pastor told me. I want to be baptized. So as sick as he was, they, they took him, and that, that Sunday they baptized him, this man. I found out about it on Tuesday in Thunder Bay, and I phoned the family on Wednesday. And I talked to this man's daughter, and here's what she said. She said, Dad died early that morning very much at peace. Very much at peace. His heart was glad. His tongue rejoiced. His body rested secure. He died. But it says in Scripture here, David says, you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will let you let your Holy One see decay. David knew that God was never going to promise him that he'd never die. What, what David is saying here is that, that even in death, God will never abandon one of his own. 
And instead, what he'll do is that he'll make known to him the path of life. He will fill us with joy in his presence, and he will give us eternal pleasures at his right hand. Not these temporal pleasures, but eternal pleasures at his right hand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. and As they come, I'm going to ask you to just bow your heads and let me pray for you. Would you bow with me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word that comes through David. Lord, there is eternal pleasures at your right hand, joy in your presence. And Lord, the secret that David learned early enough in life was that, that his flesh and his heart may fail, but God is the strength of his heart and his portion forever. That, that even if this body were to be destroyed that we have a home in heaven kept for us. The faith that we have in knowing that we will receive new bodies. Oh God, for all who are suffering, I pray in Jesus' name this morning that you would give them the hope of knowing you. Knowing you, the one who in, in whom they can find refuge. The one in whom they can put their feet solidly upon and find a rock to stand on. Not thin ice, but, but a rock to stand on. Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord God, for what you did through your Son in going to the cross for our sin, in purchasing our redemption, in guaranteeing our salvation, in going before us to intercede for us, even in the middle of all the struggles that we face, O oh God. We thank you, O oh Lord, for your presence. May we find refuge in your presence, O oh God, moment by moment. And through the bad and through the good, all that will come to pass, we thank you that you never change and that you are our sustenance. Be glorified in each of our lives this day and in the year to come, we pray in Jesus' name.